0: All right, tonight we're gonna talk a little bit about rekindling the love. Now I realize looking out at the crowd, we have more single folks with us tonight than we have married folks. But you all have married friends and you have married relatives that you can be a blessing and a help and an encouragement to. Uh, so hopefully these few little things we're going to talk about tonight, and then again at the end of the month, uh, Pastor Dan or Pastor Ennis, one of them will be out of town. I'll be covering some of these things again at the end of the month. But rekindling the love, how to rebuild your marriage after a year of COVID-19. Deb and I have noticed in the past year we have prayed so much for everyone in our church, but especially for some of the married folk. Uh, we have friends, we have relatives, we have neighbors, people we know. Marriage is just falling apart. Because having to be home because of the pandemic, having to be around your spouse that you're not with all the time, around your kid, with your kids that you're not all the time, you just did in the evenings if you worked during the days, and all these things, and just uh, couples just falling apart. I remember when it first started, they were like politicians and movie stars and celebrities you'd see on the news oh, so and so and so is getting a divorce, or so and so's getting a divorce, and they've called it quits, and they were just one person after another after another of like wealthy celebrity folks giving up their marriages. So how are we going to rebuild as believers? How are we going to rebuild that intimacy? How are we going to rebuild that love after a year of COVID-19? And some of you may be married at some point. And I know the ladies here are saying, "No." <laughs> and I see the guys, "Yeah, maybe so." So how do you rebuild after a year when everything's just upside down? so Let's talk about that a little bit tonight. All right, during the past year, there was a spike in divorces when the pandemic and the lock-ins began nationally. When things began nationally, there was just a flood of people that were home the first couple of months, 24 hours a day with their spouses, with their families, and they just gave up. There was a spike in divorces. Then the Internet says uh, the, nationally, the divorce rate plummeted to a 50-year low. Nobody was getting divorced. And you have to ask yourself, well, why was that? Why would it be so high that it drops to nothing, same time frame? Well, some of the couples learned to work out their differences. There's one, one attorney in New York, New York City who has on his blog, this is the advice he's given his clients, work things out. Uh, you, don't be, you don't really want to divorce. It's just the stress of the pandemic, and he's playing marriage counselor slash attorney and had good, good secular advice as, as far as that goes for people on how to work things out. So some of the couples learned how to work out their differences. Some couples were delaying divorce until uh, life returns to a normal pace and context. So some attorneys were uh, reporting that they had talked with people on the phone and they were interested in ending their marriage, but they wanted to wait for their kids' sake, for the pace of of life to go back to normal, then they were going to pursue it. Then thirdly, the courthouses were closed. You can't get a divorce if the judge is not in there to... You're divorced, you know. To do do the gavel, case dismissed. Your divorce, it's all over. The judge isn't there, so you can't go and go get it. Go get a quickie one, and you can't hop on a plane because the flights aren't leaving the U. S. You can't go down to the islands get the quickie one that you see celebrities do on movies, and then come back like the Caribbean or wherever they people go to get the quickie divorce and come back. All that's shut down. In the Bay Area specifically, I read it just today, divorce consultations with attorneys increased over 50% since the pandemic is is ending now and the, the restrictions are coming off. The attorneys are saying we're getting calls about divorces nonstop. It's up over 50%. And the attorneys have also said there's been an uptick in domestic violence and child abuse in our area, in the Bay Area. So this is very, 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 very relevant. We have friends that have times of quarrelsome argumentative times, we have to pray with them and talk with them. We have loved ones that have gone through this, but uh, it's starting to starting to calm down. So how can we rebuild after this time of being uh, cooped up at home and together and, and having to deal with your spouse in ways you hadn't had to deal before with the stress of job losses and other things? So my wife and I have heard from numerous Christian and non-Christian couples that we know that have been stressed, anxious, depressed, Angry and constantly quarreling over many things, including past hurts and anger that they've buried and now it's come out under the stress. Dissatisfaction with their spouse and just daily irritations during the COVID-19. One of our friends is upset because they can't keep their house clean enough because they're so worried about germs and viruses. They're going to catch the COVID from their own house. It's just just very interesting to me. Other ones, uh, problems with homeschooling. I know Ludmilla and Joelle have a daycare. They've seen an uptake of people just wanting to have blocks of time, maybe four or five hours. Can my child come stay four or five hours just a day? I've got to get some work done and so forth. So homeschooling is an issue. Job layoffs, job losses, uh, working from home. Uh, my wife knows several attorneys that have kids. They're sitting there trying to practice law, and the kids are little kids are running around the house, and, and the spouse is sort of helping, and they, they can't hire help to come in because COVID, and they're having to deal with that. There's incredible financial pressures and other stressful situations people are dealing with, and, and under that stress, uh, in those times, it should pull you together as a couple instead of push you apart. But the extreme stress during the early part of the pandemic, I think, was pushing people apart and they were yelling and screaming at each other and getting irritated over things and old hurts come out and, and they're having to deal with it. Some couples have been in each other's throats, arguing and bickering, continuously fighting as they have to spend more time at home together. It's like when uh, my dad retired as soon as he could. He was in the Air Force for several years and he got out and the GI Bill went to college And then he worked for the Navy for years and years and years as an electronics technician. Then he retired. He's home the whole time. And my mom is very independent. She's out doing groceries, going with church ladies, doing things. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's always busy doing stuff. And they had to have an adjustment. So she came up with a honey-do list, honey-do this, 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 and gives him a list of things to do to keep him busy so he doesn't feel left out. And she does her things, and they had to do an, an adjustment. He had to develop uh, interest and skills and hobbies and things that he didn't have before what, after he was retired. So they had an adjustment. That's the same thing the couples today had to go through with COVID, but under an intense pressure, under, under problems and old problems coming up, bickering and fighting. So that's what's been going on. In homes, Christian homes and non-Christian homes, okay? To get couples back on track, we want to focus on four areas of married life that need attention. We're only going to talk about companionship tonight. We'll talk about communication, forgiveness, and love. I have some Wednesday nights I have to help cover for Pastor and Pastor Dan. We'll get those to different weeks. So with those four areas, if we could focus on just those four things, and if, if people could get those four things set up in their relationship, it'd be much, much better. So we're going to talk about companionship tonight. Communication another time, forgiveness another time, love another time. So to get couples back on track, we need to focus on these four things. And there are also things that I deal with when I do premarital counseling with folks and marital counseling with folks. So companionship, communication, forgiveness, and love. If you can get those things reestablished, if a couple has any type of love and affection for one another, if they have any any trust, any any relationship uh, love left in them, they can bring their marriage back. Christian or non-Christian. Okay, one of the aspects of the covenant of marriage is spouses and agree to be lifelong companions. When you stand up before their pastor in and he's doing your marriage ceremony and he's taking you through the ceremony, uh, you pledge to have and to hold from this day forward until death do us part, right? You make a solemn uh, oath before the Lord that you're going to love this person and be their lifelong companion. Now, at our wedding, we were married here at Hamilton Square. And for many years, on every anniversary, we would watch our VHS uh, anniversary. Now I put it on DVD. We'd watch our, our, wedding, our wedding ceremony. And the funny thing is, growing up, I was always the nutty, crazy person in my family. And when my parents would take VHS, they'd get their VCR out or their um, video camera out. It had the VHS tapes and take recordings. I was always the one that said or did something stupid. And it's always haunted me because I know they've got all kind of tapes at home. Do you remember when you did this? you remember when you said this? All this evidence on video of me acting silly and goofy and crazy and doing funny things, you know, just family. So on our wedding day, I wanted to be very serious. I didn't want any weird looks on my face. I didn't want uh, to say something dumb, to do something dumb, to do something embarrassing and embarrass my bride on our wedding day. So I was very sober. And we watch, that DVD, we watch that DVD now. Deborah goes, you didn't smile at all. And you can see her face. She's trying to smile. I try to perk me up and try to get me to smile. I'm standing there swallowing hard. <laughs> and have a sad, not a sad, but a serious look on my face. She's like, the whole wedding, I was worried about it. Then finally, pastor says, I now pronounce you man and wife. Brian, you can kiss Mrs. Kelly. Then I laid one on her, a long one on her, because I was happy. Because the ceremony was over, no funny things, no weird things. I didn't say anything wrong, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't mispronounce my words, but I was so focused, I didn't want to show any mistakes, I didn't want to have anything of that go on. But during that ceremony, we made a a covenant of lifelong companionship to have and to hold from this day forward until death do us part. And that is a serious vow that we need to take serious as married folks. And one day, if, you, if you're married, you have to take that serious. It's a lifelong commitment to be your, your spouse's companion. And it's a very serious thing, and I took it very seriously, but I should have smiled more, and I should have looked more happy. I worried my poor bride to death. You can see, maybe it's one day we'll show the DVD. Debra's smiling happy and looking at me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And a little smiles huh (laughs) are you sure did someone twist your arm which they didn't what's wrong why are you so sad looking i didn't want to do something silly or dumb just like on the live stream i don't want to do something silly or dumb or say something silly or dumb so uh, i was just very sober that day but it was an exciting day it was a wonderful day okay so that lifelong covenant of companionship that you make for as long as you both shall live till death do us part is modeled after the first marriage created by god in the garden of eden in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, the Lord set up marriage. He created it, he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them marriage. So who wants to turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18 through 25 and just read it out loud for us? Turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. We're just going to read the verses, we're not going to comment on them, we just want to see how the first marriage was. As the Lord set it up, who's got Genesis chapter 2 for us tonight? Who wants to read some scripture? Okay, go ahead, Rick. 18 to 25. All right, so here's a picture of the first marriage where the Lord uh, put Adam and Eve together in the garden. Innocent man and woman in a perfect environment surrounded by food for them to eat. All needs provided, the Lord places them there. And he creates this covenant of marriage where a husband has a wife. He has a a helper appropriate to complete him. And she has... Uh, a husband to love and care for her so the lord sets up marriage right that's companionship the number one reason it's not good for him to be alone i'll make a helper suitable for him right so he's making companionship that's the purpose of marriage but in the era of covid in the era of all the stresses we go under people get away from that companionship and that main idea but that's how the lord set it up in genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 the lord made them lifelong companions A man leaves his father and mother is joined, or the the word behind there in the Hebrew means to be glued together. Have you ever crazy glued your fingers together by mistake? I almost did. Brother David's helping me remodel the, the bookstore back there. We got the Loctite out, and I almost got some of that Loctite, and then you can't get them apart unless you yank them apart, or you put nail polish remover on it, and that will free your fingers. But yes, the Hebrew word there means to be permanently glued, to be joined, to be put together with like Loctite or liquid nails or whatever adhesive you want to talk about. And his his wife is a lifelong companion. A wife is a loving companion suitable or custom made to team together with her husband. And I definitely know Deborah is my my better half. And and she complements my weaknesses and strengths. I complement her weaknesses and strengths. The Lord has just brought us together. And we, we just fit. We we have the desire to serve the Lord together and to walk together and have companionship. And we work hard on that, on keeping good companionship between us. But it's that lifelong, lifelong uh, companionship that the Lord puts together in marriage. Now, when a marriage breaks down, usually the couple's been living separate lives in the months or years before it begins to disintegrate. And then COVID turned the heat up on that. Even when they're in the same room, they spend very little time interacting with each other. And this is the modern day marriage. The husband's sitting there on his phone, doing his social media, doing whatever he wants to do, looking at buying whatever he wants to buy. The wife is over here doing her social media, and they're in the same room, and they never talk. And it's not just married couples. We were in, where were we when that group of college students came into the restaurant? We were in Slovakia. We were in Bratislava, Slovakia, this time two years ago, it was in June. And the, our tour guide recommended a restaurant to us. It's a French restaurant. And we went in there to have some lunch. And we were sitting there eating. And all of a sudden, it was either six or eight college students came in. They were all talking to each other. Oh, it's good to be talking to one another. And they sat down at a table, all eight of them. And they all sat there not talking, doing this. Not even talking. But they came in together talking. They're sitting there doing this, doing their thing, doing that. Then the waitress comes. and They put it down enough time to order. And they ordered their meal, Whatever order, then they went back to doing this and ignored each other. Six or eight people sitting at a table that came in all happy doing this nonstop. Then the food came and they put it down and they ate and they sort of acted normal and everything was fine. But it's just like they, they had this little window of opportunity. They're going to get their little texting done or they're going to answer this or they to do this email or they're going to respond to this comment. And really, social media, some of the comments are so stupid. Look at the fried egg I ate this morning. Look at the shoe I just polished. I and then your phone bings, and then someone replies to that, and then someone likes it, then you get like 15 bings from someone saying, look at my fried egg, I made it so perfectly round. Come on. In a marriage, that doesn't fly. If you do that all the time, you'll have no marriage, right? So companionship. If all you're doing is sitting on your cell phone together, doing this, ignoring each other, uh, that's not companionship. The couple becomes more like roommates or business partners instead of lifelong companions who want to be together, who want to talk, who want to do things together. They develop destructive habits of independent living independently, and that uh, causes them to grow apart. Because if your life just gets independent, if you're married, but you're not acting like you're married, and you're not living like you're married, and you're just being two separate people living in a house, it causes problems. And I think a lot of people were living that way, and then COVID hit. And then they've got to be together 24-7. And all the old hurts, all the things they've never dealt with, all the things of ignoring one another to be on their phone or their computer all the time, now they've got to deal with one another, and and they've grown apart and have very little in common. And then the irritations come up, and they're at each other's throat. That's why the divorce rate spiked 50%. Right when COVID started, then it calmed down. Now it's spiking back up in the Bay Area because people don't attend to the companionship. So, we're going to talk about how to fix this. I'm telling you the bad news, and I'm going to tell you the good news. Okay? Companionship. One spouse may work or develop a tendency to work continuously, 24 7. And I know that the attorneys that Deborah works for, they're working 24 7 because they're home and they have to get work done in between taking care of their kids and being with their spouse, whatever, and they're, and they're working more and more hours. Deborah will go to bed and all her work's done. She'll wake up the next morning, she'll have 40 emails she's got to answer first thing because the attorneys worked all night. They do this uh, working continuously thing and not attending to the companionship in their marriage. Another may schedule activities and recreation with friends and co-workers instead of their spouse. So communication and cha- and uh, companionship grinds to a halt. I know this is true back with the area I'm from. Some of the guys when they first get married, they're still in two or three baseball leagues. And they're in the football league and they've got all these sports and they do all these things. And they assume their wife's just going to come in the stands and just be someone who sits in the stands all the time watching them do their thing. Every night, every evening, every weekend. And that's got to go to work. There's no companionship that way. You have to work on your companionship. You can't schedule things apart. You've got to do stuff together. Okay, over time, a huge distance forms in their relationship because they're not investing any meaningful, memorable, and mutually refreshing time with their spouse and, excuse me. as the distance grows, seeds of discontentment and dissatisfaction grow between the husband and the wife. If you're not making me- meaningful, memorable, mutually refreshing things, going on little trips together, just going out on a little date together, just uh, after if you've got little kids like my, uh, my nephew Alan and his wife Beth, just sitting aside some time in the evening once the kids are in bed, just a little bit of time just to be together to talk, there's a huge gap. If all you do after you put your kids to bed is sit there and do this, you're not going to have a relationship. And we see that's how people live because the spike in the divorces as soon as COVID hit. It builds a distance. So this is the bad news. Now, to reestablish a relationship based on mutual companionship, the couple needs to begin a few simple things that are based on biblical principles about love and relationships. You just need to change course and start incorporating these. I have seven things we'll talk about. And they all have a Bible verse to tie with them. Start doing seven, and you may come up with more, but these are the seven that I found to reestablish a relationship and get, get get the love and feeling back and not be at each other's throats and aggravated and with all the stressors that we're going through during this time. Okay, number one. Spouses need to spend time together, talking while doing the regular tasks of life together. We try to do this. We have a Friday night date for the past 20... Going on 24 years, Friday night is date night. Two, Thursday night is house cleaning and laundry and those type of things. Wednesday night's church. Tuesday night is Zoom fellowship. Monday night we just go, oh, and collapse after Sunday. But for all these years, sometimes we just had a Costco hot dog and sit and talked. Sometimes, real, real expensive dates. Sometimes we'd go to McDonald's. Sometimes we will go out for a nicer meal. Sometimes we take... Uh, the pastor with us, so he has some companionship and some friendship with us. We'll say, Pastor, go on, let's go out to dinner. Now that the restaurants are opening. But spouses need to spend time together and the regular tasks. So we go out to eat, then we go grocery shopping. And I love pushing the cart because when I'm pushing the cart, I could put stuff in it that I want in the cart. <laughs> I could put, if it's soda, if I want soda or iced tea or whatever I want, or a big box of desserts or the brownie bites. Or whatever you want, whatever floats your boat. If it's dessert, if it's chips, whatever, you can put them in the bag. <clears throat> you can put them in the cart and just push the cart and Deb puts food in. That's just, that's just our date night, Friday night. We grocery shop, we go out to dinner, we come home, we put them away. Then usually at the end of the week we collapse oh, and go to bed. But you've got to have these, the regular tasks, sometimes cleaning. Deb's cleaning the house, I'm vacuuming, and we're talking about things. These regular tasks that have to be done... You can spend time talking, and men usually don't want to sit around and talk about their feelings. But if you're doing something with them, they will. They'll open right up and say, well, I think this about this, and I'm thinking about this, and I like this or don't like this. If you're doing something together, they'll open up and talk. Ladies usually are more willing to talk about feelings, talk about things. Guys are more stoic and won't. This helps get the guys to talk, doing things together, uh, like painting a wall, going grocery shopping, cooking something together. The husband cooks something, the wife cooks something, and they have dinner together. Those type things. Where do we get that? First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, live considerately considerably with your wives, giving honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they too are also heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what is this what is uh, Peter telling husbands? You need to know your wife. Like the back of your hand, you need to know her very well or like anything that you're very well acquainted with. You need to know her well. You need to live considerately with her according to knowledge, the King James says, uh, but live considerately with your wife. You know her likes, you know her preferences, you know how to make her happy, you know how to please her, you know her favorite flower, you know her favorite place to eat, you know the favorite things she enjoys you doing for her or with her. Husbands, live considerately with your wives. Them on the same hand, it's the same thing for the wife. She notices the things that you like. She does helpful, loving things. She remembers your birthday. You remember hers. You go out and do things together. You live considerately. You consider the other person uh, in your daily life and in your daily living. Husbands, uh, live considerately with your wives, giving honor to the weaker, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they too are heirs of the grace of life. That your prayers not be hindered. You gotta do things together daily. You have to be considerate of one another and consider your, your spouse as your scheduling things. Okay, questions so far. Everybody good? All right, the number two spouses need to express genuine thankfulness and appreciation to each other for the love and support and the other one freely gives to you, that one gives to the other. When my wife does things for me, I always thank her. I always try to thank her. Thank you for doing the laundry. Or thank you for picking this dry cleaning up. Or thank you for grabbing that errand. Or doing this thing for me. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. I always try to make sure I thank her and genuinely thankful for help. It's like if you're doing a task all by yourself. If you're doing a task by yourself at work and you're just slammed with work. And the harder you work, the more tasks come on your desk or across your workbench or whatever that you've got to do, and the things just keep piling up and piling up and piling up. If a coworker comes over to you and says, can I help you with this? Can I help do this for you? Can I help you with something? I've got some extra time. Can I do this task? Can I help you? Um, that's like, oh, finally. Someone came to help me. Oh, it's like fresh water. It's like refreshment to my spirit. I have some help. I can help let this person take care of these tasks, and I'll work on this, and the workload gets balanced out a little better. It's the same thing in marriage. When you express thankfulness and that someone does sweet and kind and gracious things for you, you should should genuinely be thankful and show that appreciation for your spouse. And it needs to be regularly acknowledged and regularly seen. Whether it's husband or wife, whoever's doing the loving kind things, you need to be thankful for it and express it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 teaches us that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, and I know this is not talking about just marriage. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you were to give thanks for everything, including your spouse who does things for you, your parents if they help you out, co-workers if they help you out. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, if they help you out with some tasks at home or with something you're struggling with, or some encouragement they give you, give thanks and everything. Paul's epistles are literally little all over. I give thanks to the Lord for you. I'm thankful for you. I remember you in prayers. He's constantly telling the churches that he writes to, I give thanks uh, to the Lord for you. I'm thankful for you. He's constantly pouring that encouragement into those he ministers to. It's the same thing with marriage. In everything give thanks. Be thankful for what your spouse does for you and you thank them for it and you acknowledge it. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. You'll be surprised how far a thank you goes. Especially if it's a little if you put a little note somewhere for your spouse to find says, "I love you. I'm praying for you." And they come across and they find it, oh, that's like fresh water in a hot, on a hot summer day. So acknowledge those things. Companionship, that builds companionship. Okay, number three. Spouses need to use edifying speech with one another. Refusing to criticize, disrespect, or be negative toward the other person. So spouses need to use edifying speech. What's an example of edifying speech, whether it's in the context of being married or single folks? What, what is edifying speech just in general? What's the scripture talking about there using, or that we're going to look at in Ephesians 4? Edifying speech. What is an example of edifying speech? Encouraging words that build you up. Words that build you up. Yes. What's an example? You walk up to the pastor and say, Pastor, you really blessed me with the message. I'm going to tell you a joke. Somebody at a church somewhere went up to pastor one time and said, after he preached, Pastor, your message was just so good. It's been a real fertilizer for us. Oh, wow, Julie's awake. (laughs) Your message has been a real fertilizer for us. I almost went up to Dr. Sam Horn. And said that to him this week, and say your messages were just so good. You've been just such a fertilizer for us. I can't thank you enough. And just to see, because th- that's an old joke. That's an old joke about speakers. Secular speakers use that joke. Pastors use that joke. I don't know. Was that a real story? Did that, that someone really come up and say that to you? Bill Hall tells oh, Bill Hall tells that one because I know clean secular comedians also tell that as a joke. They'll get up and they'll do their routine, tell humorous things, and then someone in the crowd will say, You are a real fertilizer to us. Because it's got a double meaning, because we know fertilizer makes plants grow. But fertilizer does not come from a nice smelling place. <laughs> it's not a pleasant thing to have to make or to, to put on, to bring to market in a bag that you throw it in your garden. It, it, it was a double meaning with those words. That's not edifying speech. I did not do that. By the way, I did not do that. I did not embarrass you. I did not go to Dr. Sam Horn and tell him, you've been such a fertilizer for us. I did not do that. I held back. But criticizing disrespectful or negative speech, we have to cut out. Ephesians 4.29 teaches us that. Only use edifying speech that builds up and encourages, Brother Ray said. All right, Ephesians 4 29. Let no, and this is command language. Let no corrupt, meaning harmful or hurtful. Now, I know some people are built, they have no filter. What's in their mind comes out their mouth. And then when they see the horror on the person's face, they realize, ooh, I messed up. <laughs> Hopefully they say, ooh, I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. That came out. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That came out. I shouldn't have thought that, and I shouldn't have said that. All right? Let no corrupt, harmful, or hurtful speech communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, building up, encouraging, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, here in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, proceed is a verb that we call a present imperative. So present tense means it's something you need to do right now and continue doing. So it's like building a habit. i will start this good habit right now. I'm going to eat a big salad for lunch and dinner every day. My good habit, i will going begin this good habit. And I'm going to continue it, right? So that's present tense. So to proceed means to start right now, letting, only, letting non-corrupt communication come from your mouth. But it's an imperative, like do it right now, do not wait. So he's warning us. Don't let anything like that come out of your mouth. Start the habit today, right now, of always letting good and helpful and edifying speech come out of your mouth. Start that habit right now. Avoid those things. Start the habit of avoiding this right now and start the habit of letting good come out of your mouth. Now, after a long day at work or a stressful time uh, out in the world and you come home, sometimes you're not in the best mood and you might get grumpy. And it's your spouse. And your spouse has had a bad day. You first see them when you come home. You may just mouth back at them. Or if you're working on a project and you're hammering something and boom, you hit your hand. Ooh, that hurt. Things you might yell at your spouse even though they didn't do it. Why do we do this, men? We do this. If we're working on a project with our spouse, if we hit our hand or something happens, why did you do that? How did that happen? Sometimes guys will yell at their wife for no reason. They didn't do anything. They're just standing there trying to help you. But let no corrupt, harmful, or hurtful communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace to the hearers. And that should be for every relationship, not just marriage. Our brothers, sisters in Christ, our family, our friends, our relatives, but especially in marriage. Start this good habit of not letting unedifying things come out of your mouth, only edifying. And Paul says to do it right now. Being overly critical... Or continually critical is corrupt and harmful speech that destroys openness and honesty between spouses. I have a friend, he is constantly on his wife, criticizing everything she does. And she's had it. And we're trying to help them and encourage them and get them through this rough spot. And I think it's the the stress of COVID has brought this out. But being constantly critical over every piece of lint in the house, every little piece of dust that's around. Continually critical or corrupt, harmful speech destroys the openness and honesty. Nobody wants to be around someone who criticizes every time, uh, like in the Jane Austen movie, they said about Mr. Darcy, he never looks at a woman except to see a smudge. Don't be that type person. Don't be a critical person. The only reason you look at people is to see their flaws and point them out. That's critical, corrupt communication. Don't do it. Being negative and continually pessimistic in your attitude and speech is emotionally and spiritually harmful and corrupt. In the South, this is how they would describe somebody. She's so negative, she depressed the devil. That's pretty negative. He's so negative, he would haunt a graveyard. That's just a way of saying they always look at the negative side. They point out the negative side. It could be, they could win, this is a bad illustration, but they could win a lottery, and win millions of dollars, and they would find fault with the print on the dollar bills. That's, that, that's pretty bad. You can't If you're naturally that way, you can't be that way with others. You can't be that way in your marriage. You've got to ask the Lord to help you with that and curb that back. Constantly pessimistic, constantly negative, constantly griping and complaining and fussing about things that, that you can't control and you can't change, but you fuss about them. That's negativity. And I think there's a lot of that going on in families, between spouses, during COVID because people are cramped up at home and the only news they get is on television. The only thing they hear is what friends tell them and they get in a negative mode. So we have to stop that type of criticalness or negativity. It eats your marriage up. Number four, spouses need to relearn to listen to others before speaking. This companionship skill takes a lot of practice. And I know I have to practice it because my wife has told me very sweetly for 24 years... I over people. I confess. I'm verbally aggressive. Most men are not. But for whatever reason, I got that blessing. <laughs> verbally aggressive. Just let things fly. Jump on things. Try to finish people's sentences. I do that. It's a bad habit. I confess it. But spouses, we have to relearn to listen and not do that in our marriage. James one nineteen. Therefore, my love, beloved brothers, beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear. Hear what the other person has to say. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. For anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. We have to be willing to listen. And I have to slow myself down. I know there's a couple of us in this room here. Our brains work very fast. They're always ticking. They're always going. We think fast. We think fast. We talk fast. We have to slow down and listen. Especially me, because this is one of my uh, chinks in the armor. Be slow, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Just slow to anger would help most marriages right off the bat. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. And again, if people were home because of COVID, they have no one to turn to but their spouse. Instead of turning to them and working together, they turn on them and they get angry with each other. And they come to impasses and some folks have decided to divorce because of it. But the scripture tells us, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't. What good does getting angry do in a situation? Does anger ever help a situation? No, it doesn't. It just frustrates the people around you that are trying to help you. Then you get angry with them then they get angry because you got angry with them, and it just is a lot of bad feeling, bad emotion, bad baggage in your family. So be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay, number five, spouses need to learn to be casually close to one another by holding hands, sitting close together, giving pop-up kisses, and frequent hugs. We're finally getting to the good stuff. <laughs> Dealing with marriage. I'm so thankful. I love holding my wife's hand. We were out just shopping and doing some stuff on Monday on, on Memorial Day. And she would reach out and hold my hand. And sometimes I would reach out and grab her hand. And we'd walk around with hands and people say, oh, you're so adorable. You're so adorable. Have y'all had that happen? Any of the married folks? Anybody say, you're so adorable. One evening, I had to sing in a choir concert at school and Deb had to work late. And we met at the BART station, and I had on a tuxedo, because I had just sung in a school concert, and we had to wear it. And Deb was dressed up in business dress. And we were sitting in the seats that says seniors only, because it was later, and there's no big rush. There weren't like, thousands of seniors trying to sit in those seats on the BART. And we are just sitting there talking and holding hands and just talking. And this one little lady walked up to us and said, You are so adorable! And we still laugh about that to this day. What is so adorable? We're just sitting in the senior seat. And I didn't have gray hair then. This was like this was 10 years ago. I still had brownish sort of hair. But that lady said, you're so cute. You're so adorable. And I thought she was going to do like that, but she didn't. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. We were just sitting there holding hands talking. She was telling me about her day. I was telling her about the wrong notes I hit and how I got yelled at and those type of things at this concert. But to be casually close. If you're very distant and you don't want to face your spouse... Holding hands helps. I know that sounds crazy, but it just does. Sitting close together helps. Giving little pop-up kisses. I try to do this regularly for my spouse. I'm constantly going around kissing my wife. And she's a happy lady, I hope. (laughs) Happy with it. Sometimes she's like, oh, kiss me later. And frequent hugs. She always wants a hug. But she'll say, oh, don't. I just exercise, don't. I said, oh, I don't care about exercise. Just come hug me. Right? You have to get used to that casual one-on-one. If you're at odds... The hugging, the kissing, the hand-holding brings back affection, and it helps tear down the walls that you're building up. It helps tear down the anger that you build up sometimes, the frustrations. It just tears it down because you're like, this person loves me, and she's holding my hand. Or they're sitting right beside me, and, and you're close together, or you give a lot of hugs. It helps tear down those walls that build up from misunderstandings. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. Let the husband render to the wife due affection, and likewise the wife to the husband. So what are you supposed to be? He's supposed to be affectionate to her. She's supposed to be affectionate to him. The hand-holding, the hugs, the love, the little pats on the back, the little love notes in someone's lunch if you make their lunch, leaving little love notes on the, um, the mirror in the bathroom. I love you, sweetheart. I'm praying. I know you have a hard day. I'm praying for you, those type things. Uh, sending, sending your wife flowers, these affectionate things outwardly, it, showing outward affection and do affectionate things for husband and wife. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So doing those affectionate things, it builds up. It builds the other person up. They see that you're a human being. They see that you want to be loved and give love. And it puts you on a human level with your spouse instead of being this hard, evil person that's getting on my nerves and I want to get a divorce from them and he gets on my nerves or she gets on my nerves. It helps build, it helps tear that down. Do affection. Scripture says, let the husband render to his wife due affection. Likewise, the wife to the husband. So affection going back and forth, it helps pull down walls. It helps melt away issues. The number six. Spouses need to make glorifying God. I should put this one first. Spouses need to make glorifying God their priority as they read, apply, live and obey the principles and message of God's word. Cuz the first thing we could we probably should ask friends when they call us married friends and they call and ask us for advice is are you reading your word? How much time did you spend in prayer? How much time did you spend in the Word? How much time did you spend thinking about your spouse and not yourself? How much time did you spend putting their their needs and their desires before your own? How many towers this week have you done that? And that will help fix a lot of problems. Their priority needs to be reading, applying, living, and obeying the principles and message of God's Word. Why? Because that gives you the spiritual fuel that allows you to put the other person first and cultivate a deeper love because you had that shared spirituality and shared walk in the Lord and shared Holy Spirit love for the Lord. It bonds you together. So spouses need to make a priority glorifying God, reading, applying, living, and obeying the word so they have that spiritual fuel and that foundation in their life that allows them to deeply love their spouse more than themselves and put their needs first. <clears throat> and build their companionship. When the scripture, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say? If my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. What's he saying? When my, when my words have a happy home, there's a foundation, there's walls, there's a roof, there's windows, there's someone living in it. When, you're, when my word has a happy home in your heart and your life, We're on such a relationship that you will ask what you will and it'll be done unto you because you'll only ask for those things that glorify God. And you learn those things when you read, apply, live, and obey the message of God's word. And there's four verses that tie into this idea. They're loosely related to companionship. So let's look at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10.31, the wilds made a song of this. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That single folks, married folks, young folks, old folks, middle-aged folks, everybody in between, little children. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's a hymn as well. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You've memorized it. You've thought about it you pondered on it. I read the second half of 2 Corinthians this morning and then the first part of Hebrews. And 2 Corinthians, I'm with it. I know Paul's writing, we're used to his writing style, that I jump over to Hebrews and I'm like, is this Apollos or Timothy or Paul that wrote this? Because this doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. It just had a different sound. But I was hiding God's word in my heart, trying to memorize God's word. The thing that helps me whenever I have to get up and sing opera music is a little verse that my wife cross-stitched for me. and It's sitting on my dresser. I quote this all the time. At school, I would stand against a wall behind the stage and just breathe and quote this verse. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And we just breathe and think about music and think about the scriptures. Then I could just walk out there and do it. But without the fire of God's word and quoting that scripture that I had memorized in my heart, that I hid in my heart, I would have been scared and worried. But I wasn't because I hid God's word in my heart. It keeps you from sin, but it also energizes your Christian life. The Jeremiah 23, this is out of Handel's Messiah as well. He quotes this passage. And this is not marriage, but it's just the principle of God's word. It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, God's personal name. God's personal covenant name that he dealt with his people. This is the first name basis. Israel was, they used this name speaking to the Lord, speaking to God. It's his personal, holy, righteous name. It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. God's word, uh, when they were on the Emmaus Road, the Lord Jesus Christ was walking with them. He was teaching the scriptures. And then after he departed, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? At, this, at, at the Lord's teaching. His word is like a fire. And you need that fire and that passion and that love for the Lord and a love for His word that so fills you with His word and fills you with the Holy Spirit that you can minister and be a companion to your spouse the way you should. Is not my word like a fire? Did not our hearts burn within us? Says the Lord. <laughs> then Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So then bringing it specifically to the marriage context. A man should have a fiery, passionate heart of love for his wife. The wife should have a fiery, passionate uh, respect and love for her husband. And when you have that, your companionship falls into place. Last idea. Spouses need to develop a deep mutual trust and understanding of each other. You know that you are rock-solid partner and companion in life without any hesitation or doubt. I can say that about my wife. Rock-solid. I know without any doubt she has my back. I trust her with 1,000% of my heart, soul, body, time, talent, treasure, everything. Absolutely my rock-solid partner in life and companion without any doubt, without any hesitation. And this passage in Proverbs 31 always warms my heart. Pastor has us read this on Mother's Day. Uh, He calls it the impossible woman of Proverbs 31. Because no lady can do all the things that are listed in here. But she did it. Proverbs 31. Verses 10 through 12. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her worth is far above rubies. That's a rare gem that's very expensive. Great value, great worth the heart of her husband safely trusts in her so that he will have no lack of gain. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And I thank the Lord that that's the wife that I have. And I'm thankful that's what he has blessed me with. My heart absolutely trusts my wife. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind she has my back and she loves me, and she would do anything for me, and I love her and would do anything for her. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. No doubt, no question, no worry, no fear. I know my wife loves me, and I trust and hope that that's the same for the fellows and the men and the women in our auditorium tonight. Okay, so to summarize, just quickly, in case you missed a point, number one, Spouses need to spend time together talking while doing the regular tasks of life together. It builds companionship. Husbands and wives need to express genuine thankfulness and appreciation to each other for the love and support that the other one freely gives to the other. Husbands and wives, spouses need to use edifying speech with one another, refusing to criticize and disrespect or be negative toward the other. Spouses need to relearn to listen to the other before speaking. Spouses need to learn to be casually close to one another by holding hands, sitting close together, giving pop-up kisses, frequent hugs, building companionship and affection. Spouses need to make glorifying God their priority as they read and apply and live and obey the principles and message of God's word. And they need to develop a deep mutual trust, and understanding of each other. And that only happens as you're willing to be open and honest and vulnerable and completely open to your spouse. And I think during COVID, the stresses of life and the worries of life, if it doesn't push you together and bring you closer together, uh, you'll turn on each other and pull apart. And that's what we see in the marriage of some Christians, some unbelievers as well. And we need to pray for our married folks. We need to pray for our singles that are seeking a spouse, that they would have the wisdom and blessing of the Lord in the guidance in that area of their life. But companionship, this is how you build it, step by step, day by day, these daily things, thankfulness, acknowledging the other, speaking sweetly to them and kindly to them, building trust, giving lots of affection. We do these things, and we build up the companionship one with another and makes it so you stay glued together and you don't come apart during the times, the days and times like we're living in today. All right, so let's bow forward a prayer. And we will dismiss. I'm sorry I went a few minutes over. But we got all seven ideas behind it for companionship in marriage. For companionship in marriage and how to help your married friends get their act together if they're quarreling and not getting along. All right, let's stand on our feet for our closing prayer. And then we'll, we'll head home. I'm so glad everyone is here tonight. I'm thankful that each and every one of you are here and those joining us with the live stream. We're so glad to have you with us tonight. Let's bow forward a prayer and then we will head home and see what the Lord has for us on tomorrow. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and your goodness to us. We thank you for your love and your tender mercies that you show us each and every day. And the love and the kindness and the protection and blessing you pour out over your people each and every day. I pray that you'll bless and encourage us now. I pray that our our families would be blessed and encouraged. We pray that our singles would be blessed and encouraged and bless our pastor in the coming week as he preaches your word on Sunday. Now, we pray for Pastor Dan as he's away from us that you will give him traveling mercies and a good time of refreshment with his family. I pray that he'd be encouraged and blessed and strengthened and come back refreshed and rejoicing in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, Father, we pray that you'll give us traveling mercies as we go home tonight. And we thank you for each and everyone that's here and the blessing that they are to one another. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.